0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Soon it'll be spring. And as the weather clears and warms up, it's going to be a great time to go camping. But that also means it'll be an even better time for some scary camping stories. So that's what I have for you today. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails and as well as some camping stories, I've got some graveyard shift stories to share with you too. Enjoy. Send me your stories so I can narrate them at darkstories.org and check out our other shows at eeriecast.com, such as Freaky Folklore and Redwood Bureau. Now, let's begin. My Untold Camping Trip From Amelia Y. I've never told anyone this story before, since I was scared they'd think I'm insane. I was a 13-year-old girl, with rather bad eyesight. I was never an outdoor person. I liked staying inside my room, and I hated leaving it, since I always felt unsafe and anxious around everyone, family and strangers alike. So my parents decided to send me and my younger sister, who was two years behind me, on a one-week camping trip during the wonderful month of August. Saying that I wasn't very happy about it would be an understatement. We arrived on the campground where I met my camp leaders. There were three in total, ages ranging from 19 to 22. I was put into a tent with a few other girls. We set up our sleeping bags for the night, yet none of us slept. The others were just chatting the entire night while I listened. When morning came, we were all very tired. I could tell they weren't used to staying up all night. Personally, I had a very broken sleep schedule. I would sleep for about four hours a week, so I was fine. Or rather, I was used to it. That day, we did some camp activities, like learning how to start a fire and how to identify plants. I even saw a couple of deer, I'll skip ahead a few days since nothing happened for the next three days. On the second to last night to spend at the camp, I really wanted to go back home. Again, I couldn't sleep, so I was just using a very subtle nightlight to read. It barely illuminated the pages, since I was careful not to wake up the leaders and the girls in my tent. It was then I noticed how eerily quiet it was, other than my slow breathing and the pages I was turning. I brushed off this unease, this silence, and decided to enjoy it. After all, I think silence is underrated. Suddenly, the girl next to me woke up and groggily told me she wanted to use the bathroom, but she was too scared to go alone. I mean, who wouldn't be? The nearest bathroom was at least two miles away, and walking those two miles in the woods and then back uphill would be tiring to say the least. I gave her a comforting smile, telling her I'd go with her, even though I wanted to stay in the tent in the warmth of my sleeping bag, and the peacefulness of my light yellow glow of my nightlight. I twisted my ankle a day prior, and it hurt, but I didn't bring it up, and I endured it. I got out of the tent with the slightly taller girl, and I turned on my flashlight. We walked slowly about 100 feet into the woods, so we wouldn't disturb anyone. She quickly went behind a tree then and did her business while I used my flashlight to observe the darkness of the woods. An immense amount of dread hit me like a bus and I thought I was having another panic attack. My anxiety became worse when I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. On reflex, I pointed my flashlight in that direction. Amelia. A familiar voice called out. My sister's voice, Wait, my sister's voice. She was eight miles away on the other side of the campground in a cabin. I was confused. My sister could never walk that far, in the dark, no less. She was scared of the dark, and her stamina was low. I turned to where the voice came from, and I pointed my flashlight in that direction. Just out of the light's glow stood a girl, just an inch shorter than me, with short brown hair, and a naturally skinny figure. The more I inspected her, the more I noticed. She was skinnier than usual, actually. My sister is already very petite. You can see her bones through her skin. But that girl I saw in the forest, who resembled my sister, I could see each and every bone in her body exactly where it was, and her joints appeared broken. That was when my campmate finished her business. She came back and reached for my arm. When she made contact with me, I flinched. It's just me, she said. Her voice held concern and emotion, but it was just her. Amelia. My sister called out again. It seemed as if her voice was a recording getting played repeatedly. I kept looking at the figure until the girl behind me asked barely above a whisper, Who is that? In a questioning tone. I answered, It looks like my sister, but it can't be her. I spoke in a quiet whisper. The girl barely heard me. We should go. I said sternly this time, but I tried to keep my voice barely above a whisper. So the two of us did what any logical people would do we ran. My ankle hurt so much, but I never stopped and I could hear that thing that looked like my sister trying to catch up to us. It was fast, but we were faster. We got to the campgrounds, and we immediately got inside the tent. Only then did I realize how bad my ankle actually hurt. Ew, what's that smell? The girl to my left said, it smelled of rot and iron, a smell I was familiar with due to living on a farm for eight years of my life. I quickly replied with, Somebody probably took a dump near the campsite. I lied, knowing they'd believe me. Probably just one of the boys. The girl replied with a tired eye roll. I smiled at her and told her she should get some rest. Everyone who had awakened went back to sleep. I stayed up the rest of the night, staring out the small opening of the window of our tent. It was still there, yet... It no longer looked like my sister. Instead, it looked like my mother. A creepy smile stretched across its face. I made eye contact with it. My mother's green eyes had been replaced with a milky white. I looked away after noticing that. I kept thinking, I need to make it through this night. Just tonight and tomorrow night, and I can go back home. I was doing my best not to have a panic attack. Finally, morning came, and we went through our usual day. But, of course, night returned. That night, I tried my best to fall asleep, which I actually did. The following morning, we packed our things and said our goodbyes. I got in my parents' car with my sister when they showed up. My mother and father greeted us with smiles, asking about our trip. It was decent, I replied in my usual quiet, monotone voice. I thought it was fun. My little sister smiled with joy lacing her tone. It was her. It wasn't that creature, that mimic. I was relieved to know this was my real sister. We got home, and I immediately took a shower, and after unpacking, I went skateboarding, which I do to get my mind off of things. That day I made a conclusion that I would never go camping again. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. on iOS and Android. My Experience in the Rural Oregon Mountains From Wicked Windigo When I would hear the old adage, right place at the right time, I'd think to myself, yeah, okay, it's all just coincidence. But after what I've been through these past six weeks, my mind is changing. Maybe you're put in a specific place at a specific time for a reason. As most of you know, the PNW, Pacific Northwest for those unfamiliar, was recently ravaged by an ungodly amount of wildfires at the time of writing this, I mean. Seeing the little fire emojis dotted all over maps of California, Oregon, and Washington made my heart ache. My home was burning. Fortunately, for myself and my family, our area hadn't been hit as hard as many others. I'd planned a camping trip a few weeks prior to this pandemic of wildfires, so I was happy to see that my usual spot wasn't near any major fires and subsequently had been deemed safe to travel and camp in. I'm a camping enthusiast, and I enjoy deep wilderness camping. My usual spot is fairly remote. It requires a two-hour drive up a two-lane road into the middle of nowhere followed by a 30-minute drive up an old logging road that ultimately crests a small mountain. The mountain's slope leads into a beautiful valley, with much larger mountains encircling the valley from the north and east. In the center was a decently sized clearing. The clearing was littered with fallen logs, beautiful pink and yellow yarrow flowers, and the occasional family of white-tailed deer. This was my true happy place. This valley has a name, but I'll keep it hidden for anonymity purposes. I left on a Tuesday morning in early September. The drive to the mountain was relatively uneventful, besides almost hitting a large buck who decided to cross the road right in front of my truck. I arrived on the mountain crest on schedule and began unpacking the bed of my truck. I had just recently bought a new 2020 Toyota Tacoma. I parked my truck facing the clearing, roughly 5 feet from the edge of a small drop-off. The slope down to the valley wasn't steep, and it's fairly easy to hike down. I'd say it's about 400 to 450 feet from where I parked down to the start of the valley floor. I had my camp set up just as dusk was setting. I'd usually have a large fire going, but with the previously mentioned wildfires, that wasn't possible. I brought a small propane stove and space heater to prevent any accidents, As I finished gulping down my last bite of dinner, I noticed it was quickly growing dark. I hopped off my tailgate and made my way to my driver's side door. As I was digging in my pockets for my keys, I looked down into the valley, and I noticed something strange. I could make out two small circular lights in the far distance. They flickered as they quickly moved closer to the clearing. It looked as if they were hovering and navigating through the trees at a steady pace. I crouched in front of my truck, and I looked on in curiosity. I watched for a few minutes, until the lights eventually arrived at the treeline of the clearing. I could hear the humming of motorcycle engines echoing from the valley. That's when I realized what I was staring at. What on earth were these two people doing, riding dirt bikes out here? This was the first time I'd ever seen another person out here. The lights were stationary at this point, I assumed the two riders were off their bikes and walking around the clearing, although this is only speculation as I couldn't see anything aside from the two bike headlights. I knew they couldn't see me as I had no visible lights on or a campfire. Instantly I thought to grab my phone out of my glove box. Local news stations warned the public of suspicious people intentionally starting fires in the woods. They encouraged citizens to be vigilant and gather any evidence they could. In an absolute lapse in judgment, I pressed the unlock button on my keys. My truck lights flashed, and a loud beeping sound rang out. I had just given a beacon to my location, to these midnight riders. In a rush of adrenaline, I threw myself on the ground, stomach first. My mind was screaming, Good going, Einstein! I could barely think as my heart was pounding in my ears. I watched as the bike lights began to turn back into the direction they came from, and eventually, they disappeared into the dark. I could hear the engines revving harder than they had before. That unsettled me a bit. As I stood up and brushed myself off, I began thinking about how odd it was. Usually, people with good intentions do not run off like that when they notice other campers. These people were obviously up to no good down there. Maybe they were drug traffickers meth cookers arsonists my mind was filled with all the potential threats i might have alerted to my location i sat in my truck mulling over my options should i drive home what if they're waiting for me at the end of the logging road or was i just overreacting i decided to pack up camp and spend the night in my truck and drive home first thing in the morning after packing everything up i drove down the logging road a little ways and backed into a small gap in the mountain face. That way, if the midnight riders decided to pay me a visit, they might just miss me. I was in full paranoia mode. I lowered my seat back, racked around into my handgun, and eventually dozed off as the adrenaline turned into exhaustion. I awoke to my alarm, with My Life for Hire by ADTR blaring from my phone. In a groggy daze, I sat up and rubbed my eyes My phone said 6.32 a.m. Looking out my windshield, I could see thick brown smoke swirling in the wind. As I stepped out of my truck, I was hit with the intense smell of burning wood. As you've probably guessed now, there was a fire very close by. I jumped back into my truck and raced back up the mountain. From my camping spot, I'd be able to get a better understanding of the situation. As I drove way too fast up this narrow logging road, I noticed the smoke was thinning out as my elevation grew. My heart sank at the realization. When I reached the crest, I jumped into the truck bed and looked out over the valley. I could see blue skies above the mountains across from me to the north and east. My heart sank at this as it confirmed my suspicion. I turned towards the logging road to my right. I could see the smoke thicken from that direction. I was trapped. My mind instantly went to the two riders from the previous night. I grabbed my phone, praying for a signal. Of course, no such luck. I jumped off my truck bed and threw my passenger door open. I frantically searched for my backpack. Once I found it, I ripped it apart, looking for my GPS satellite phone. I kissed it with joy when I grabbed it from the bottom of the bag. I flipped it open and thanked the Lord I had a signal. I called 911 to report the fire and request help. I chatted with the operator for about 15 minutes. The operator said she'd contact local wildland firefighting companies and attempt to get a helicopter to evacuate me. After being on hold for a few minutes, I was transferred to a helicopter pilot who worked for a wildland firefighting company that was nearby. I mentioned the valley by name, and the man said he knew where it was. He claimed they were sending a helicopter to pick me up, and that I needed to be there and ready to leave as soon as they landed. After we disconnected, I rushed to clear out my truck of any valuables. I sadly rubbed the dashboard and said, sorry, to my new truck, as it was evident the fire would eventually consume her. I then gradually started making my way down the slope and into the valley. After only falling a few times, I reached the valley floor. I then bolted through the trees and towards the clearing. My lungs were on fire as I neared the clearing. As I broke through the tree line, I collapsed on the ground, gasping for air. After a few minutes of lying there, catching my breath, I got back onto my feet. I started walking towards the center of the clearing. When I made it to what I assumed was the center, I glanced up at the peak of the small mountain. I could see my bright red truck sitting where I left it, roughly 200 feet, to the left of it, was a wall of fire. Black smoke rose from the wall as it raced up the mountain. I turned away, not wanting to watch $39,000 literally going up in flames. I began scanning the skies, searching for my rescue. I concentrated on listening for the chopping sound of a helicopter's rotors. As I stood there listening, I heard something else that made me question my sanity. Just to my left, I could hear someone crying out. A shockwave ran through me. I stood there unable to believe my ears. I unholstered my handgun and called back. Hello? Is someone there? I then began to hear muffled screaming. I ran toward the screaming trying to hold back tears. I noticed a piece of plywood, roughly 4 by 8 feet, covered in branches and dirt. It lay on the ground with a large boulder set on top of it. I called again. Hello? Hello? I heard the muffled scream again. This time, it was much louder and unmistakable. Is there really someone under that plywood? I thought to myself. I rushed over to attempt to move the boulder. After struggling a few times, I managed to push the boulder off the plywood. Slowly, I lifted up the plywood and threw it to the side. What I saw is something I'll never forget. Sitting inside the small hole, which was no bigger than four by four feet, was a woman. Her wrists were zip-tied, and her mouth was gagged with a piece of cloth. I gasped and took a step back. I couldn't believe it. What in the world was going on? The woman was frantically looking around. I snapped out of my shock and rushed to help her. She flinched as I reached out to grab her. I lifted her out of the hole and I removed the cloth from her mouth. She began to yell in Spanish and she raised her arms. I told her, calm down, you're safe now. I cut the zip ties that were binding her wrists. She instantly started pointing behind me and repeating, mi hija. I didn't understand her, as unfortunately I didn't know Spanish. I turned around quickly. Where she was pointing. I noticed four more pieces of plywood scattered across the clearing. I was horrified. I rushed over and began to flip them over one by one, but one by one they were empty. The woman, following me as I did this, let out a pained cry as I flipped the last piece of plywood, exposing a fourth and final empty hole. She collapsed on the ground and began to sob. I tried to ask what was wrong, but I couldn't understand her. As I tried to console her, I heard the distinct sound of helicopter rotors. I looked up to see the chopper, descending into the valley. I helped the woman up, and I put her arm over my shoulder as we rushed to the awaiting chopper. A man jumped out from the side doors. When we made it to him, he helped the woman in, then stopped and yelled, You didn't tell us there'd be two of you. I yelled back, trying to be heard over the loud rotors. I just found her, I have no idea what's happening." He then replied, You found her? What are you... Never mind, we don't have time, get in. He helped me into the helicopter and shut the doors. Soon after we started to ascend. I looked down over the valley to see the fire had engulfed the peak and was halfway down the slope towards the valley. I sat back in relief. I was finally safe, but I had so many questions. The state police and EMTs met us when we landed back at base camp. I explained the entire situation, and they took the woman and I back to the station. Eventually, I was released, after telling my story to six different officers. My wife picked me up, and I was able to return home. That wasn't the end, unfortunately. Over these last six weeks, I was interviewed by local authorities, state authorities, U.S. Marshals, ICE, even a pair of FBI agents, My final interview was with the two FBI agents. They were the only ones who gave me any real information on the situation. After retelling my story, just as I did here, they filled in some holes for me. They explained that I likely stumbled upon a human trafficking operation. When I unlocked my truck, it spooked the traffickers. He said I was lucky I hid in that gap when I did, as they more than likely went up the logging road to handle me. When they couldn't locate me, They probably assumed I'd left to get the police, so they packed up any valuable assets, including the woman's younger daughter, and started the fire to destroy any evidence before I could alert the authorities. I asked about the girl I found. The older agent informed me that she and her daughter had been kidnapped from Nicaragua. The woman claimed they were set to be sold to someone in Russia, but now she was being held in government custody until she could be returned home. He then said, She's lucky you came along when you did. You were at the right place at the right time. I've always called it a Dryad from Shade Collins. It may not be a long story, or a great story, but it happened. I've worked in construction most of my life, so I'm not much of a storyteller type, so bear with me. It was around 26 years ago. My parents had just bought me a pup tent for my monthly Boy Scout campouts because I was 14 and several of the high school kids had left me covered in bruises during the previous campouts over the last year. This pup tent was about 6 feet long and 3ish feet high. It was a dark green A-frame style tent, with an entrance at one side with a zippered mosquito net cover, one down the middle, and one from each side. There was also a rain cover outside of the tent that could be tied with two binding sets of straps whenever we'd go camping the first thing we would do was clear the area of debris in this case it was sticks and long grass we had to use lawnmowers from the scoutmaster's trailer to cut it down so after my first day out i set up my little tent outside and away maybe 15 to 20 feet from the big eight person tents that all the other kids were sleeping in i crawled in as there was barely room to sit upright inside of it and just enough room to turn around in the tent without hitting the sides I got into my blue summer sleeping bag, zipped it up, made sure my camping pack was by my feet, and I went to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night. Someone was messing with the zipper. I was basically alone, so hearing the brand new zipper come up was enough to wake me. I grabbed my flashlight, a mini light, with my right hand, and I sat up and flashed it at my feet, which were by the entrance, and what I saw made no sense at the time there was a girl with her head in my tent up to her shoulders with her hands in my backpack she didn't seem to be wearing a top of any kind the only reason i call this a girl is because it had cleavage but my size 12 feet were in the way so i didn't see her chest its skin was a pale green and its hair was a deeper forest green tied back into what i could best describe as dreadlocks it took me a minute to notice but there seemed to be leaves in the thing's hair They seemed to be ivy leaves. Her face could be traditionally described as beautiful. Gaunt features, high cheekbones. Her eyes were like a cat's pupils, but the eye color was brown. She had dark colored lips. Not quite black, but really close. The moment I popped up with my light, she, or it, bared its teeth and hissed, quickly pulling itself out of the tiny tent. I'll never forget those teeth, They weren't humanoid teeth. Instead, they were long and sharp like a dog's. I did try to go after it, but by the time I shifted around and got out of my bag and exited the tent, she was gone, as were the contents of the snacks I had hidden in my bag. From that point on, I slept with the rest of the kids in the big tents, and we used my pup tent to hold extra gear, like people's backpacks. I know it's not a very exciting story, The whole experience lasted less than two minutes. Since then, I've always been wary of nature. I don't really talk about it because who'd believe a story like this, even though it does sort of haunt me to this day. Paranormal Camping, from Misery941. My step-grandparents owned a lot of property in the mountains of Morgan County, Utah, My siblings and I spent a lot of time exploring the woods there, which were right behind my grandparents' house. Skip forward 20 years. My grandparents have long since passed away, but I still spend a lot of time in these mountains camping. Since it's private property, we don't see many people while camping there. I've experienced many strange things while out there, but this is one of the strangest, Two of my friends and I were staying overnight in a trailer we had on the property. We were just talking and hanging out. All of a sudden, we heard a very loud, vibrating wind sound, and the trailer began to shake and sort of vibrate. It lasted about 30 to 45 seconds, then abruptly stopped. We all looked at each other, and I could tell they were just as confused as I was. We opened the door, and it was as calm as it had been right before it happened. There was no storm, no wind, no rain, nothing. I have no idea what it could have been. On another occasion, two different friends and I were hiking up to a cabin that I had found in the woods on an earlier trip. You have to climb over a gate to get to the cabin, which was still about 300 feet through thick trees. I climbed over the gate first and started walking through the tall grass that was just before the trees. Then, on the path about 20 feet in front of me, I saw a very, very large dog. The dog was all white, with long hair and very dark eyes. He was just sitting there staring at me. He didn't move or make a sound. I slowly started backing up and I told my friend to back up also. My other friend was just getting over the fence and asked what we were doing. I told her we were trying to get away from the big dog without upsetting it. Both my friends looked confused, but backed up anyway, and we all went back over the fence. After that, they told me that they didn't see any dog anywhere. I thought that was impossible, because that dog I saw was huge, and sitting right in the middle of the path. Another time, the same friends and I were gathering wood for a fire. We were on a hillside on the opposite side of the road from camp. When we looked in the direction of camp, we could see a door, a perfect door with a window and doorknob just kind of floating at the base of some trees. All three of us saw this, but we didn't have cell phones, so we couldn't get a picture. These are just a few of the weird things that happened on this mountain. It's a very strange place. Northern Horror from Ulsterheim I live in the north of Norway, near the border with Russia, and I've been here most of my life. Growing up out in the middle of nowhere would be a fair statement of my childhood, but I never lacked in the way of things to occupy my time. I had a few friends near my age who grew up relatively near me, although this is something that would be considered a stretch by anyone who has grown up in more populated areas. Because when I say near me, to be more precise, it took me about 40 minutes riding my bike to get to where my friends lived with their folks. Not to mention the terrain around these parts is dominated by tundras, pine woods, and marshlands, all leading towards the Russian-Norwegian border. I had a very average time growing up. We would tear around in the woods on ATVs and go snowmobile racing in the winter, which this far north lasts a long time and involves more snow than you would imagine possible and biting cold for months on end for the most part. Oh, and I can't forget the lack of sunshine either. The Arctic kind of just throws that one in as well, for anyone who decides to live in these parts. As for me, I'm a 30-ish year old man working in the forestry sector, and on and off with construction work for the local county. I live alone with my dogs, and not much more, in a house I got for an absolutely ridiculous price, from the guy who owned it before me. I had to spend a lot of time renovating it, but it was all worth it, since I got a home to call my own. It all started last fall, just before the snow came, and everything around where I live was more or less ready for winter. It had been cold for a few weeks, with the odd sprinkle of snow during the night that would vanish when the sun came out the next day. Earlier in the fall, I had gotten a contract to change out a stove and replace a door and install a new sink in a cabin that a local organization who managed the various hiking trails and rental cabins, which the state owns around here. But due to the whole pandemic and whatnot, I had not gotten started on that project as soon as I wanted to. The guy who was supposed to help me with it had noped out of the deal after it was clear we would be forced to haul all we needed in ourselves without any help. I was teed off about this, and not in a very good mood when I was driving to the gravel parking lot, where I'd hauled most of the stuff I needed a few days before. I parked and got out of the car. I looked around and saw the trailer loaded with the new door and other things, sitting there covered in a thick layer of frost. Cursing under my breath, I began to hook up the trailer to my pickup, securing the load. The road I had to drive was barely more than a rough dirt track, that ran for about 8 kilometers into the rolling hills of the wilderness, where the cabin was located. As I did this, I noticed an absolutely horrible stench hanging in the air. It reminded me of rotten food, and something wet that had gone moldy. I looked around for any source of this terrible smell. I saw a large heap of what I could only describe as someone who had a very upset stomach had left a surprise at the rear end of the trailer. The sheer amount of excrement that was lying there ruled out any human culprit, and heck, even dogs for that matter. I stood there a bit perplexed about this. I chalked it up to either a moose or some other animal, who had gotten a severe case of disgruntled bowels. The drive along the dirt track was rather difficult, due to ice and the generally poor state of the trail itself. I cursed myself and the world in general as my truck and trailer I was pulling along skidded on a patch of black ice. I barely managed to hit the brakes as a loud thud came from the trailer. I came to an uneasy stop. I stepped out of my car, half expecting some part of the load coming loose, banged against the kitchen sink I had strapped down. But nothing had come loose as I looked over the trailer. Instead, I saw a dent in its side panel that looked like scuff marks along the side of it. Now I have to say at the time, I just chalked it up to bad luck. Maybe one of the trees standing too close to the trail was the offender responsible for the newly acquired dent in my trailer. Mumbling to myself as I got back in the car and resumed the drive, I tried to give it no more thought. After about one hour, I got to the cabin and while the dusk began to set, I unloaded the trailer Got firewood from the nearby shed and got the wood stove going inside the cabin. I was tired, hungry, and not very happy having to spend the night at this rather damp cabin. I fell asleep in a chair and woke in the morning with my back and neck aching. I was feeling rather sorry for myself. But as I stepped out of the small cabin and began walking towards the shed, which needed to have its door replaced alongside the cabin, I stopped dead in my tracks. I could see that, during the night, someone had gone to town on my car. Several windows had been smashed in, broken glass all around on the ground. One side mirror was missing, and the passenger seat was torn apart. The trailer had not escaped the wrath of whoever had done this either. One of its tires had been reduced to shreds. I looked around for any ATV tracks or car tracks, reasoning to myself that someone who had a bone to pick with the country administration had seen my truck and decided to vent their anger on it. However, I found no signs except for those marks left by my own set of tires and trailer, both of which had chains on them. Feeling a bit uneasy, I began to unload the materials and whatnot. I had decided I would put everything into the two sheds. I headed into town after that, to report this to the local police. I rolled myself a cigarette and took a deep pull of it to calm myself, to get the shivers out of my body and carry on. As I stood in one of the sheds, stacking materials and setting down the various tools I had with me, a noise caught my ears. It sounded like a hunting dog yapping far off in the woods, which was not that odd really. After all, most of the locals are hunters and are well versed in anything outdoors related. But what struck me as odd was the tone of the yapping. It was so high-pitched and carried so well, I thought the dog was not far off. By the frequency of the yapping, it sounded like the dog was hard on the trail of whatever it was chasing. Stepping out of the shed and looking around for this dog, I expected to see said animal bounding along the half-frozen marsh and moorland that lay behind the cabin but I saw nothing. I probably spent about 15 minutes looking and listening for the dog, but I never saw it. This should have been my cue to just get the heck out of there in hindsight, but I'm sometimes far too stubborn for my own good. I carried on, making sure that all I needed was in good order and ready for when I got back here. When I was done, I walked out and I could still hear that dog, but suddenly its tone changed. It went from a steady yapping to a high-pitched and terrifying howl that was cut short. Then there was nothing, just an uncomfortable silence. I guess at this time something urged me to get out of there. I remember a cold shiver running down my spine when I had my back to the woods as I gathered my clothes and whatnot and headed to my car slash truck. I was hoping it had not been subjected to more sabotage, as well as plain old vandalism. Thankfully, it started on the first twist of the key. I swung the car around, and began down the trail that had gotten a thin layer of fresh snow during the night. I drove for a few minutes, feeling glad I wasn't going to stay there, and feeling worried about why anyone went so far out into the woods to wreck my car and equipment. As I sat there in my own thoughts, paying attention to the road, not wanting to take any chances, I came to the top of a small hill. This is where the road runs downhill for about a kilometer. I caught the slightest movement to my right side, and before I had time to think, something stepped out in front of my car, about 50 meters ahead. At first, I cursed and thought that a suicidal moose had decided to meet its end at the cost of my car, but when I looked closer at that thing that stood in front of my car, I realized This was no moose. First of all, moose do not stand on their hind legs. Secondly was its head. It did somewhat resemble the elongated skull of a moose or reindeer, but the proportions and aspects of it were all wrong. The size, color of the fur, just the sense of it, nothing was completely right. Then as my eyes drifted down along its body, I saw two massive paws, both ending in curved and blunt-looking sets of claws, I just lost it. I felt panic grip my whole body and I started shaking and sweating as a man possessed. It was its eyes that really did it. I screamed in fear as I peered at those white orbs with vertical black pupils that bore down upon me as the thing stood there seeming to radiate nothing but pure disgust and anger at me in my car. It was as if I had dared violate its home with simply having the nerve to drive through here. At that moment, everything went black. I had passed out, possibly from fear, maybe from something else. When I came to, I expected the creature to be standing right beside my car, ready to end my pitiful life for offending it with my presence. But there was nothing, just the silence and loneliness of the woods. I drove like a madman home breaking untold numbers of traffic laws during the drive. Upon coming home, I ran like a whipped hare inside and collapsed on the floor of my bathroom. I lay there for a long time before I managed to calm my nerves and got enough presence of mind to start the process of cleaning myself up. I called the local county the next day and said I could not complete the contract due to the issue of someone wrecking my trailer and vandalizing my tools. I didn't care if they believed me or not. This event cost me a fair amount due to lost tools, a lost contract, damage to my trailer, and I had to pay compensation due to not fulfilling the contract. But I know now that I'll never go back there. I've been trying to sell my home since this ordeal. I never go outside much anymore, and I sold my dogs to a friend. I don't dare go into the woods or tundra. Even if the thing I encountered is long gone, I don't want to risk my sanity and my life on that bet. I was not alone in that fog. From Northern Cowboy. For a long time I worked at a restaurant that was open all night on the weekends. This is a town with like seven bars, so when they close around two in the morning... All the drunks went to get something to eat. Sadly, it would be a great chance for a cop to get some DUI busts just sitting on the place, but none ever did. In late summer of 2018, I transferred to the weekend overnight shift. This girl I worked with, and who I was close to, was on that shift, and she said that she had someone stalking her. Now, I won't lie and say that I didn't like her like that, but mostly I just felt bad for her. She had the worst luck I had ever seen, and as such, due to other circumstances in her life, she ended up quitting like a week or two later. After that, I was stuck on night shift without the reason I'd come there. It wasn't that bad, though, most of the time. My cousin, who I get along with pretty well, was the night manager, so we usually had a good time working together. There was one downside, though. Neither of us had a car. We usually had to walk home when we got out around 4 a.m. One night after I'd been on the shift maybe a month, a very thick fog had rolled in around 2 or 3 a.m. Visibility was like 50 feet or less. I could barely make out the ends of the parking lot from the windows. When I finally clocked out, I had to walk right into that fog. Despite the fog, I initially wasn't concerned. I walk a lot in general. And living near the lake, I've dealt with plenty of heavy fog before. If anything, it made my night easier, since the drunks had gone home. Maybe a quarter of the way home, though, something chilling happened. It took me a moment to realize it, but once it clicked, I realized that I wasn't alone. Initially, I thought it might be an animal or something. The area I was in gets tons of deer, and even the occasional bear but what happened next rolled all that out. I heard a whistling noise. Not like the wind or anything like that. It was a good 15 or more seconds carrying a melody. By then I was near a streetlight. I stopped under it, and I drew my work knife. I turned around, but I found no one there. I thought I heard something else, but I wasn't sure what. Admittedly, given I was kind of freaking out at that point, I questioned if I'd actually heard anything at all. I sat down on a guardrail, still near the source of light. My knife was still drawn, and my head was on a swivel. I stayed there a bit. I'm not sure how long, exactly. A while later, I saw my cousin approaching. He had some paperwork to do before leaving, and had left a good ten minutes behind me. As I approached him... I could see he had some headphones in. He removed them and I asked if he was messing with me. He said no. I believed him. He was much farther behind me than the whistling had sounded to be. It also sounded like it had come from a different direction than he was coming from. He then asked me if I had shouted for him. I told him that I yelled a bit when I freaked out earlier, but I never did shout for him. He admitted to me that he had never heard me shouting but had heard someone shout his name over the sound of his music. So who was out there whistling, and who was calling his name? We lived within a couple blocks of each other. We stuck together the rest of the way home. When I got back, I made sure all the doors were locked after I got inside. Shortly after that, I gave a mostly BS reason why I couldn't work night shifts anymore, and after that, I was off that shift, much to my relief. Funny Little Things at Work From Masai Riot My previous job was a ton of fun at first, but after a few years it was far from fun, with salary raises, company influence, and lack of work draining the whole work experience. There was a weird thing that happened during night shift when it was just me and Jeffrey, a former colleague of mine. We both agree to this day that it was something we shouldn't let out into the world, but that's a promise I'm breaking now. Jeffrey and I had the night shift from 4 in the afternoon until 1 at night, which I actually really loved, since I'm a night brewer, as we say in Holland. The day went by for the most part normally, and Jeffrey even got his dongle, a device that lets you watch things on a PC, so we could watch the soccer match of the world championships that year. There were no higher-ups during the night shifts, and i know that even though it's not legally allowed we were okay with it with 25 meter beams of steel where we had to mill a lot of steel off of sometimes up to 45 minutes we had a lot of free time to check the match as the match just finished there was a truck coming with a few hauls that the company really needed for a few orders that needed to get out the next week jeffrey and i saw the lights going into the big flat area where we store our rails the same ones used for railroads. Jeffrey said, uh, there shouldn't be a truck coming this late. I answered him, well, they haven't told me anything about it either, but I do know we need some rails for the upcoming orders. We looked at each other, but it was clear that we both didn't trust the whole situation. Jeffrey put a crowbar in his huge work pants, and I grabbed a big box cutter. We walked over to the truck. I was starting to trust the whole situation less and less. Jeffrey then spoke. Heads up. The driver of the truck stuck his head out and started to say something neither me nor Jeffrey understood, which made the two of us look at each other with weird faces. The moment I turned to the driver again, I saw a see-through pale face with a grin right next to the driver, and it startled me. "Yo, dude, you okay? Jeffrey asked me and after I collected myself, I just said, "Uh, yeah, yeah, man, I'm okay. I then noticed Jeffrey had gripped the crowbar that was still in his work pants, but now the driver was talking English, so we finally understood him, even with his bad grasp of the English language. Jeffrey began to unload the truck with the forklift. I put a rail of 20 meters into the holders of the milling machine, locking it and starting the milling sequence. As I was holding my bathroom visit for over an hour, i really needed to go so i went ahead to the bathroom the driver was here as well taking a leak and so when i saw him in the bathroom he began to make conversation hello i have thing for boss of company the driver said and after our bathroom visit i walked with him to the truck when we got there he opened the door the moment he did jeffrey honked the horn of the forklift which startled me causing jeffrey to burst into laughter and through the laughter, he could just get out the words, oh man, that was good. Yeah, okay, you got me. Just unload everything, okay? I told him. The driver then handed me a box, and I looked at the driver weirdly. It was a shape more like a hexagon than a normal box. I walked to my boss's office. It was then that I noticed that the corridor to the boss's office seemed way darker than normal. At that moment, it was around 11 p.m., I quickly put down the hexagon box on my boss's table, but something didn't feel right to me. So I glanced back into the boss's office and man, I wish I didn't. When I did, I saw the same face in the office that had been behind the driver before. I took a step back and frantically started blinking my eyes. When I stopped blinking, I didn't see that face anymore. I then slowly walked towards the cafeteria which was only a few steps from the office, but I was a bit scared now, and I'd never been scared at this company before. Then I heard something fall in the office. Reluctantly, I started to walk back. I could still hear the noise of the forklift in the distance, so I knew it couldn't have been Jeffrey or the driver, because it was just me on this side of the building. I took a few steps inside. That's when I heard a voice. Someone said, me. That voice could not have been clearer. Terrified, I continued through the office. I looked around, not finding anything that would have caused that noise. But after a moment, I heard something else. Laughter. I looked all over rapidly again, and this time, I saw the face once more, over the hexagon box, The face looked to me with a serious expression. I kept staring at it, and it stared back at me, unblinking. Suddenly, Jeffrey tapped me on the shoulder, saying, Hey man, you okay? Surprised, I answered him. Let's call it a night, alright? Jeffrey looked at me with a weird look, but then he seemed to understand. Sure, let's call it a day. Jeffrey and I walked back to the machines, turning them all off. The entire time I felt that someone was watching me, and at one point I looked at the screen of the CPU linked to the milling machine. When the screen went black, I saw the face in the reflection. This really startled me. Jeffrey was running over towards me, but before he could even say anything, a loud thud boomed from the other part of the work floor. Jeffrey and I checked the surroundings of the work floor, but we couldn't find a thing, not until we saw on the far back. A huge 28-meter beam had fallen from the crane. How did that happen? I asked Jeffrey. But then he replied, him, and he pointed. I followed his finger, finding that familiar face, but this time I could also see a bit of the body of the figure. The face's expression became that of an eerie smile. Seeing this made my stomach turn. Jeffrey dragged me to the dressing room of the company, repeatedly shouting, We gotta go, we gotta go! As we ran, after finally getting our work clothes off, we ran towards our cars, and I looked up to the office of our boss, seeing that face again. This time, I could see the top part of its body. I put the pedal to the metal when I was in my car, and I made it to the nearby Mickey D's to calm down. I ordered some food to relax. I then noticed my hand was shaking on the steering wheel. I gathered myself, then enjoyed my late night Mickey D's. The following day, I was free from work, but since I'd left my phone charger there, I had to drive to the company to get it. When I parked my car, I saw the figure again in that window. I dreaded going back in the building, but I told myself I could do it. I went back inside, grabbed my charger, and when I looked back up, I saw a yellow eye almost right in my face. I think I passed out then. When I woke up, no one was around me, and I started to think of what this could be that caused me to faint. Later on, I would learn that my boss sold that hexagon thing. I never did learn what it was and luckily now I don't work there anymore. I do occasionally drive by, and every so often I swear I can see that face staring back at me. Still, I have no idea who or what it is, but I always saw it coming from my boss's office. I now work somewhere different, and I can only hope that my friends that still work there have been left alone by that... thing. night screams from dawkins i work late nights at a cemetery i've never seen anything happen out of the ordinary like ghosts or anything like that until this one night i had jumped in the suv to drive around the cemetery more so out of boredom it was 11:22 at night so just before midnight i began to hear people screaming really loud It sounded more like groaning and pained cries. At first, I wasn't creeped out, just irritated, thinking it was teenagers. They tend to come in here a lot and hang out, but I'd actually never heard them screaming like this before. I drove all over the place, trying to figure out where the heck the noises were coming from. The screaming went on for a good 20 minutes straight. I was getting extremely creeped out. After all, it was dark and I was driving around a place full of dead people. With all due respect, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but working late nights at a cemetery, it's not fun. At 1 a.m., the screaming came back. I had my windows down and the air conditioner on low. I was trying to pinpoint the voices, trying to finally locate where it was all coming from. The voices were getting louder and louder. I decided to roll up the windows and I killed the air conditioner. I did leave a tiny crack open in my driver's side window. I was approaching a pretty steep hill going downward. I drove down it slowly. When I got to the end of the hill, my eyes went wide. There I see five people dressed in black cloaks, wearing white masks with stitches at the mouths. I mean they were clearly there, I had my high beams on after all. They were sitting next to a tree screaming and digging into the ground. One of them had a rope in their hand, pointing at me, making a gesture that maybe he or she wanted to hang or maybe even choke me with it. The three other people next to them had sickles in their hands. They were all dressed the exact same way. That's what freaked me out the most. One of them quickly took a running dive onto the hood of my SUV and began to kick at the window. He didn't have any luck trying to smash it, though. I quickly went into reverse and I took off like a bat out of hack. I drove up to the gate, opened it, and locked it. I went to the nearest gas station and called the police, explaining everything to them. It took them about 10 minutes to arrive. They looked all over the place, but by then there was no sign of anything or anyone out of the ordinary in the cemetery. The following day, I was scared so bad, I quit my job. After that, I began to work at a mall during the day. Because night shifts are not for me. That's my story. It may not be the scariest, but it's true. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone. Remember, this world is a strange one. So stay safe out there and stay creepy.